Thank you, Jim. I know. I feel like part of the reason you're so hot is because I'm making you do everything. Oh, so I hopefully. <laughs> anyway, uh, before we we're, we're in the book of Jeremiah, uh, but before we go there, I thought we would look at one place in Romans. If you want to uh, look in your Bibles to the book of Romans. And if you remember last week was Jeremiah 18. We're trying to go through one chapter of Jeremiah every week. And we're up to chapter 19. And last week was 18. We talked about vessels. And uh, there's an illustration about vessels in here again today. And I thought I would read you a couple poems to kick off our time together. Most of you are familiar with a guy named D.L. Moody. Uh, what is he famous for? Does anybody know? Yeah, the church in uh, Chicago. And what do you say? The Institute, Bible Institute. It's a Bible Institute. Yeah, doesn't isn't that where Unshackled come from? Or is that the uh, Pacific? Pacific Indian Mission. Okay. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think he was in the time era of Charles Spurgeon, and I think he may have uh, been in England at that time. But anyway, here's something he says. This is a quote before he died. He says, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield, Northfield is dead. He says, Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I will be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all. Out of, he says, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. I think that was 19 years later. That which is born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of the Spirit will live forever. Oh, that was a pretty good quote by D.L. Moody about his uh, clay body. I might read this other uh, this other thing later, but let's all look at uh, Romans nine because this is kind of the the other side. It's in Romans nine twenty two through twenty four. And here the Bible says, What if God, willing to show his wrath to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? So there's that word vessels. And, my, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he hath afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And so he kind of contrasts these two vessels, this vessels of mercy, 
those who have accepted Christ, the Lord Jesus, and those of, uh, that have rejected Christ, they are, they are vessels of wrath. And so now, now let's go to uh, Jeremiah 19, and let's look at our passage together. Jeremiah 19... <coughs> And uh, somebody read these first three verses for us, if they would. It's a wonderful thing. the Lord, go and get a father's broken body and take with the ancients of the people and the ancients of the priests and go forth into the valley of the Son of Man, which is by the entry of the East Gate, and proclaim there the words that I shall tell you. And say... Hear ye the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, the which whoever overheareth his ears shall turn it. Okay, so he he's winding up here. Jeremiah is, and he takes he takes his uh, his visual. He he's got some kind of uh, vessel of clay. The, he says, uh, verse one, the potter's earthen vessel, and uh, so you can imagine him kind of going through town. He's and he's saying. Uh, I want the ancients of the people. Let's gather up the old folk. And he says, uh, of the priests, the the ancient of the people and the ancients of the priests. So he takes the old timers and he goes uh, out by this valley of Hinnon. And uh, I I really meant to uh, bring my picture of Jerusalem. I brought it here before and I drove away and forgot it this morning. But uh, this... This uh, valley of the son of Hinnom, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but most of us can picture maybe the uh, old city of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount with the walls, and uh, I think it's to the south. If I'm thinking right, is where this. So it's just outside the city, but this is kind of the place, the city dump. Uh, Pam Anderson, you do you do you remember a city dump, or does anybody in here remember having a city dump? I mean, you do too. Yeah, we frequented the city dump. Really? The cool stuff was always on the out. People would put the furniture and the good stuff yeah. on the outer edge. Yeah. So you could come and get what you needed. Yeah. We, we kind of had that too up in Unionville. Uh, so anyway, this, this valley of the son of Hinnom is that. And uh, there was kind of always a fire going. They're, they're burning their trash. And uh, we're going to hit. We're going to pick up that on that later. But I just wanted you to all have this illustration of Jeremiah, the man of God, taking his earthen vessel and gathering the old folk and the priest, and and they're going down to this uh, city dump, so to speak. And your point in your blank there on your handout, if you have a handout, is the word wrath. Uh, Jeremiah illustrates judgment on vessels of wrath fitted to destruction by using a potter's vessel. So that's his illustration. And then in verses 
four through nine, or yeah, four through nine is his reasons that there's going to be a slaughter of of the people. And so let's read verses four through six, and I want to comment on something there in verse four because they have forsaken me. So he he lists why judgment is coming, and it's going to be so bad your ears tingle. It says. And have estranged this place, and have burned incense to unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocence. They have built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it unto my mind. Therefore, behold, the days cometh, saith the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And uh, the the word incense goes in your next blank there. And I, I thought we would just, uh, when, I, when I first read chapter 19, I thought, man, I, I don't know what I'm going to teach from this this chapter but there was a couple things that stuck out and one of them is this thing about incense and uh, does anyone know what that represents in the Bible or first of all before I, before I answer that modern day like today where would you go to find incense burning what do you think about? Temple. You think some kind of temple? Like what temple? Like a Hindu temple or? Yeah, a temple. A Buddhist for, temple? Yeah, for worship. Okay. Pet shop. Well, what is it? Pet shop. What is where that? They, where they would sell drug paraphernalia. Okay. Things where they make honor to other gods. Yeah. And any Catholic church? Even the Catholic Church burns incense, and the priest might have a a, a censer with exactly. some coals and some incense on it. Um, secular shops. What kind? Secular shops. Some secular shops, maybe like you were saying that sell drug paraphernalia or something. Like the CBD shops, maybe now. I don't know. Okay. Doug Pearson talked about incense one time because it's so prevalent where he was in yeah. India. And he said he, he had to remember when he walked into a place of uh, worship of other gods, he wanted to smell like Jesus. Mm. So when you go in, yeah. Huh. You want to smell like yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, so. Uh, a friend of mine at work went to see a psychic this week. Oh, wow. So that's what I was thinking of. I don't know if psychics have things like that burning. I'm, I think they might, like tarot cards. And and uh, he, my friend professes to be a Christian, and he go, he's like, yeah, I was real skeptical, but my wife's mother died, and she's trying to make connection with her dead mother. Uh, yeah, and I, and uh, anyway, I, I won't. So he he said that the psychic told him some things about his dead father that no one would know, and so they kind of walked away, kind of believing that 
and I'm like, well, you know, Jeff, you know, the Bible warns against divination and, you know, wizards and necromancy. And he's like, yeah, I know. Well, so anyway, uh, so that happened this week that he just kind of came up and told me that. But uh, so to us, to Christians, what does re- incense represent? What does the Bible say about incense? It, 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 it represents prayers. And uh, I want us to look at a couple places. Be, be turning to the, the Romans, or I'm sorry, the Psalms. We're close by here. Psalm 141. And I was thinking of this while Jim was praying, just that uh, you know when you think about something burning I mean it's it's hot if it's on fire it's it's hot and uh, the smoke goes upward and, and there's a smell to it like Pam was saying so so think about those things of our prayer life is our prayer life fervent is our prayers going upward like the smoke and how does it smell so think about kind of those three things uh, 141 if someone would read verses 1 and 2 uh, Jim do you have that yeah. <clears throat> Lord I cry unto thee make haste unto me give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice that's, that's sweet. He's saying, "Let." He's kind of petitioning the Lord. Lord, Lord, would you let my prayer come up before Thee as incense? And so, uh, that that was part of the uh, Jewish worship that they would have uh, actually an altar of incense before the Holy of Holies. And so, if you could picture that, and we actually have a replica back there. But if if you could picture the if you come through the eastern gate and then the uh, the holy place would be here and the the table of showbread and the uh, the seven prong candlestick, the menorah, but the. Uh, is there another marker in there? There's a bunch there. Okay. So yeah, like like this, this right here would be the altar of incense, and uh, each morning the the priest would 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 light that, and <clears throat> since we got time. <clears throat> There would be a, a brazen altar out here, and th- this is where they would sacrifice the uh, the lamb or the bullock, and they would actually use coals from this fire to light this fire, <clears throat> and that's how they would burn their incense. <clears throat> and so, if if you look at the bottom of your handout there, the symbolism of incense uh, is prayer. So prayer goes in your blank there. <clears throat> but then uh, I wrote the seriousness of incense. Uh, t- turn to Leviticus. Leviticus 10. Verse 
And it says something really interesting here. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So right toward the front of your Bible, Leviticus 10. And if someone would read verses 1 and 2 of this for us. Uh, Pam Jackson, you got that? Uh, no, oh, okay. Angie, do you have it? And Nadab and Bihu, the sons of Aaron, <clears throat> took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. <clears throat> what does that mean that uh, they offered strange fire? What do you think that means? Are oh, you thinking something, Pat? I I think isn't it? What, I mean, God had a specific uh, formula that they were to put in certain types of incense, and I think they doctored it up and started making it smell all huh. smell like they wanted, and and they started you know offering in their own way, not the way God prescribed. Right. Well, that the way I understand it is. Maybe they got up late. (laughs) They took fire maybe out of their own fire pit at their own house from their cooking. They thought, I'm in a hurry. I'm I'm not going to use the fire. I'm going to bring my strange fire from my house to start this incense. So I I don't know if it was doctored up incense, but at least the coals were not from this sacrifice. It wasn't from the right place. And uh, God killed them. <laughs> and, you know, that that's a, that seems foreign to us. It seemed like, ah, oh, it's just a technicality, God. You know, why are you so particular? But uh, I, I found at least 15 places in the Bible. I think I've got them listed. And, you know, like when... Uh, that guy touched the Ark of the Covenant and God killed him. There's places in the Bible that God says don't touch his holy things. and So that that's kind of the, the, the threshold. And, you know, even in the New Testament, when God killed Ananias and Sapphira because they lied to the Holy Ghost, they... They sold this land and they kept back part of it, but they said they gave all of it. And God was just setting a precedence not to touch the holy things of God. And so God actually kills these. These are the sons of Aaron. And luckily he had he had two more sons. He had four sons because God killed the, these two. And one of the other one, uh, one of the other two that didn't die, becomes the high priest after Aaron. And so it's he. He's of the tribe of Levi. It's the Levitical priesthood, and so it has to be the right person offering the right sacrifice in the right way. So there's a seriousness to this. And then look over at Exodus 30. I wanted you to see this because this connects our Bible with the New Testament. Look at Exodus 30. <clears throat> This is, I, I tried to make these all S words, like the symbolism of incense, the seriousness of incense, and now this is the stability of incense. But that's probably not a very good word, but. I have a footnote that says only the high priest could offer that. Offer the. Oh, okay. So maybe even the, they shouldn't have been. Oh, God, too. Huh. 
Well, uh, let me think about that. Cause I, I, I know he's the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies. Yeah, I think that's the incense they offer. Okay. Yeah. I'm going the wrong way. I'm looking for Leviticus 30, and there's no Leviticus 30. So it's Exodus 30. Who's got verse 8? Exodus 30, verse 8 for us. And when Aaron lighteth the lamp at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout the generation. Yeah, so it was to be a perpetual. What does that mean? Continuous. Yeah. I don't think I spelled that right. Uh, and here's here's the New Testament word. Can anybody quote that verse? That's one of our memory verses. First Thessalonians five seventeen. Um, I'm trying to think how it goes. Yeah. Well. Well, that may be all it says. Okay. I'm thinking about the verse before. I think that is First Thessalonians five. Pray without ceasing. So now we've all memorized it. So isn't that cool? That uh, incense is a type of prayer. And uh, in the Old Testament, they were to keep that a perpetual uh, incense that Marcy just read. Uh, throughout their generations and then when we get to the New Testament it says to pray without ceasing so anyway that that's just pretty cool that just really nails it down and then uh, I gave you this source of incense I thought this was interesting <laughs> incense is obtained by making incisions in the bark of a tree called Arbor Thursus. It's uniquely found in the Middle East, primarily Arabia or Sheba. And so uh, if you think about that, you know, men are like trees, and the way you get incense is to make an incision in them, to make an incision in a tree to gather these things used for prayer. I, I just thought that was so cool, isn't it? And so when we let the Word of God, you know, affect it, the, the Word of God is like a sword, and when we let it operate on us, you know, we, we release prayers to Him. And it's just really interesting to think how all this ties together. So this, this is even before He talks about His earthen vessel. He's talking about, you guys have been offering incense to the wrong God. You've been, and we can't, we don't really think about that, that, there's people out there praying to the wrong God, but when we don't put Him first in our lives, it, it's the same. That uh, anyway, uh, that, that that's part of their condemnation uh, of God's judgment that J- Jeremiah is pronouncing. It, you guys have been offering this incense to the wrong God. And let's look back at Jeremiah, and let's actually look at Jeremiah 6 before we go to 19, because that's where it talks about this incense from uh, Sheba. Jeremiah 6, verse 20. 
It says, To what purpose cometh there to me incense from Sheba and the sweet cane from a far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet unto me. So he's like, you know, you guys have gotten this incense from Sheba, but you're offering it to the wrong God. Your 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 incense is going to the strange God. So that I just wanted you to see that incense from Sheba. That's where this tree is grown that they get incense from. All right, uh, stay on the front page of your handout. And we read here in uh, Jeremiah 19, and it was in verse, at the end of verse 4. Do you see where it says the blood of innocence? What do you think that's a reference to? It is. It's children. Yeah, children goes in your blank. Uh, now, um, I gave you a, a reference. If you can hold your place there and look at the psalm, I just think it's neat. When we compare spiritual things with spiritual thing. this is where it talks about children being innocent. Uh, look at the Psalm 106, if you would. I know I'm having you jump around. I, I didn't plan that very good. So 106, verse 38. And shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Yeah. So there's a condemnation for shedding innocent blood, even the blood of your sons and daughters. So the, uh, and so when we, when we say innocent that that just means you know they have a sin nature but their sin is not imputed against it's not counted against them they're still uh, innocent they haven't really they're not sinning uh, willfully it's volitionally but they're they're still innocent and so uh, God is using Jeremiah to judge his people saying you guys uh you're offering prayers to the false gods and you've you filled this place with the blood of innocence in other words you're you're losing your kids and defiling them and even killing them as sacrifice to false gods and and so so it is today in our country in a sense we we put uh, career we put whatever in front of our kids and we uh you know, don't lead them the right way, and we lose our kids, don't we? And um, it's it's prevalent. And so, uh, you know, God instituted the family and the church as well as government, and and so these are these are institutions of the Lord, the, the family unit, the the man and the wife and the kids, and so these are these are precious. So God is judging them for uh, offering their children and shedding innocent blood and even Proverbs condemns that now I wanted to make mention a little bit about this uh, valley of the son of Hinnom again it's mentioned here in verse 6 where the Lord is changing the I gave you this word tophet, 
in the Hebrew denotes that it causes loathing or abhorrence and vomiting. So you can imagine uh, a city dump with fires going and people throwing their trash on there. Uh, you know, at, at our house uh, on the farm, my dad now, he, he's still alive. He burns uh, his trash in the ditch. And so he takes his trash to a ditch and burns it. But when I was growing up, we, we had like a 55-gallon barrel, and we would burn our trash in that. And, and yeah, it, it does stink, doesn't it? And if you're around it very long, it's... Earth and neighbors up on the hill burn it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. So, so this place of Tophet... That it stinks. It's it's loathsome. It's you know some people might even vomit by smelling it. Uh, he says it's not going to be called that anymore. It's not going to be called the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. It's going to be called the Valley of Slaughter. And this is the place that the Jews. You may have heard of this word. This is what goes in your blank. Gehenna. I think I spelled that right. But anyway, this word uh, in the New Testament, it's translated hell. The Greek word Gehenna is translated hell. And I gave you some reference for for that. So if you can imagine, you know, this place that's outside of God's city, it's outside of the camp, and it's, it's in a pit. And it's burning continuously. It, it just gave Jesus, as well as these prophets, this perfect illustration of a place of torment and hell, doesn't it? it, it it's, it's wretched. It smells. And um, anyway, so that that's what went in your blank there. And then in verses 8 and 9... Uh, and, and the thing I was reading said that that may be where the Antichrist is destroyed after the Valley of Armageddon. So some of this is very prophetical or uh, it's kind of deep in our thinking. You know, this Old Testament prophet giving this illustration of the Valley of Slaughter. Uh, you know, some of you know I went to uh, Jerusalem. I went to Israel at the end of 2019. Uh, our son and I went with a group of 80, 80 some other Americans. We had two bus loads, <laughs> and uh, it's a little hard to estimate, but I would guess that this is 40, 40 to 60 miles away from the Valley of Armageddon. And uh, some people think that uh, partly because of the type, because you know. The Antichrist is cast into the lake of fire, and so some people think that maybe this valley of slaughter may be where the the Antichrist is actually destroyed at the return of the Lord. So, anyway, for what that's worth, uh, maybe, maybe not. But, okay, now let's look at the, the back page of your handout. Like I said, this is a little shorter chapter than some of them. It's only got 19 verses. Or no, it's only got 15 verses. It's chapter 19, verse 15 verses. 
Somebody read uh, verses 10 and 11 for us, if they will. Yeah. So the whole time he's been talking, he's got this earthen vessel, and when he gets uh, to this verse 10, God tells him, okay, go ahead and break the bottle in the sight of the people. And he said, even so, I'm going to break these these people. These And these are the ancients. These are the older folks that have maybe led the younger folks astray. <clears throat> and uh, he's saying, just like I'm breaking this pot, it can't be... It can't be fixed. It's. It's. I wrote on your handout there. This symbolic action pictured the utter destruction of Judah as a nation and Jerusalem as a city. Breaking the bottle represents hopeless ruin and complete, so that it could not be made whole again. And that's what it said in the verse that Marcy read. It cannot be made whole again. And then uh, Marcy, why don't you read twelve and thirteen also? Thus will I do unto this place, saith the Lord, and to the inhabitants thereof, and even make this city as token. And the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah shall be defiled as the place of token, because of all the houses upon whose roofs they have burned incense unto the hosts of heaven, and poured out drink offering unto other gods. So you can imagine uh, Jeremiah is not very well liked because he's saying even the king's houses are going to be like this. And if you and I were to drive around, you know, the nicest houses of Harrisonville or the nicest house, uh, houses of Kansas City, uh, Jeremiah is saying that uh, those houses, they're going to be burned. Uh, they're going to be destroyed um, and and they shall be defiled as the place of Tophet <clears throat> because they, they have burned incense to the, the strange gods like we've already mentioned and they've offered and poured out drink offerings to other gods. So my, my teaching point here is just that God exalts the lowly and abases the high. and So th- this gives all of us hope uh, rather uh, <clears throat> rather we uh, be rich and powerful or famous uh, or we're poor and lowly our God can uh, bring down the high and he can lift up the low can he and I really like that thought and so Jeremiah is saying that about you know these king's houses they've been burning incense to the wrong God and uh, but I, I'm, I'm preparing a, a remnant there's going to be a remnant that doesn't get destroyed and they're going to be exalted but these high places they're going to be brought low and I gave you let's look at the Ezekiel passage because Jeremiah lamentated Ezekiel so just a few pages to your right let's look at these two places Uh, first the Ezekiel 21 
there's several places that talk about this. I couldn't find some of the verses I was looking for, but I did find these. So somebody, uh, Belinda, would you read the 2126 for us of Ezekiel? Thus says the Lord, remove the diadem and take off the crown. This shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low and the base him yeah, abase him that is high, so bring them low. And, you know, I, I think of that as, you know, as, as we see, see maybe maybe people in Hollywood that would mock our Lord or they uh, are exalting sin. You know, God's going to bring them low someday, isn't he? And uh, I don't rejoice in, in saying that, but... Um, you know, uh, there, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, I think this is a pretty exact quote, um, something like a gift in secret, uh, a man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men or something like that. So, so some of you know my testimony of uh, going broke, farming, moving to the city, and uh, and then in '92 we were going broke again. We we uh, like seven years later we were having financial trouble again, and uh, that's really when I bottomed out, and that's when the Lord saved me, and. But by going broke, I feel like I'm very rich. Does that make sense? Because, you know, uh, some of the missionaries that I've met, some of the men of God that I've met, I never would have met had I not gotten saved. God's gift of eternal life to me has brought me before great men. And I think of our our own pastor, Brian Hedges. It's good to have ministered with him. And he he pulls me up and he lives... You know, you you don't want somebody flying the plane that knows less about flying than you do. I mean, Brian is just a good godly pastor, and it, it lifts me up by ministering with him. And I, I hope you feel that way about coming to church here, that it's rich. And we, we, we learn the Word of God, and it's, uh, it is true riches. And so uh, no matter how low you are, if you have the gift of eternal life, you're, you're blessed and you are rich and you, uh, you know, I think it's also in like uh, Proverbs 13 where that the, the wealth, wealth is laid up. Uh, I mean, in the millennium, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. And we, we, we haven't experienced that right now, but can you imagine uh, ruling over a city or Ruling with the Lord, that, that's going to be pretty amazing, isn't it? We're going to rule and reign with Him. We're, we're going to be, the Bible says that we, as born-again believers, we are kings and priests. And none of us really know what it would be like to be a king. Um, you know, on, on a different trip, uh, I went, I've been on, I think, seven mission trips. But we went to London with Brian Clark. And uh, the last day, that that was a, a very uh, grueling mission trip, by the way, because 
every day we walked to the place that we witnessed all day and then we walked home. I mean, you're on your feet all day, every day. And But the last day... Uh, after four days of witnessing, getting up and eating breakfast and going witnessing every day, all day, and walking home, the last day we went to the city and we saw Big Ben and we saw Parliament and, and we went to Buckingham Palace and we seen all these things that you see on TV. And, and boy, you can't imagine really living like a king, but th- those are palaces, those are huge buildings and they're ornate and... Yeah, it's just it's just amazing. Uh, but uh, you know, one one day with the Lord, we will rule and reign with Him, and we'll be inside those houses, not just looking at them through TVs and pictures. Um, well, let, let me continue on here. So the word "abases" goes in your blank there at the top of your back page. Abases. And then uh, 14 and 15, uh, does someone have verses 14 and 15, the last two verses of Jeremiah 19? Then came Jeremiah from Tophet, whither the Lord had sent him to prophesy. And he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon this city and upon all her towns all the evil that I have pronounced against it, because they have hardened their necks, and they might not hear my word. Yeah. And so, you know, there's been several lists here in Jeremiah that, you know, they've offered their children, they've prayed this incense to other gods, but... I really think at the end of verse 15 that Pam read is kind of, if you had to sum up why is Judah going into captivity, it's that they might not hear God's words. And so uh, words goes in your blank there, your last blank on your back page. Rebellion against hearing and keeping God's words in our temple, it'll bring us destruction too. And uh, so notice that the word words is plural. And uh, so I gave you some other verses there that I thought we might just talk about in our time remaining. This this famous verse from Psalm chapter 12, we don't, we don't have to look there. I printed them out on your handout. It says the words, plural, of the Lord are pure words, plural. And here's what they're like. They're as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And so... Uh, kind of my my point the the thing I want to communicate with this last point is is that and everybody think with me here the Bible not just is God's word but it contains his words and a a preacher told me one time uh, well he didn't tell me he told the group that words are the vehicle of thought Think about that. Words are the vehicle of thought. If, if you want to...
communicate what you're thinking, you have to speak. And so it makes sense that that's why he says, don't change any of my words because you you wouldn't be communicating what he's thinking and then that's why it says we have the mind of Christ in the New Testament a couple times and so if words are the vehicle of thought we we need not just his word we 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 need his actual words uh, now this next verse there's three verses here no maybe four or five <clears throat> I'm going to erase this because I want to write this down. Hey Steve, I had a friend that got paralyzed one time on one side and she lived alone and she said no, she wasn't worried. She could still get around. But then she got laryngitis and then she was really worried. Because there was no way for her to communicate. Ah. (laughs) Wow. Ah. That's good, yeah. You know, in, in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, it says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And, and the thing was, he knew the thoughts he was... It's interesting that you said, say that, words are the vehicle thoughts, because they were not hearing this word like many of us have, have done at times, huh. listen to it. So we don't really hear God speak. We don't hear his words. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God's saying to them, you haven't been hearing my words, but I know my thoughts ah. are evil against you. And you don't know it, but I'm mm-hmm. trying to tell you. you know, That's good. Way, so I yeah. I keep sending you prophets. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, Pat. I know the thoughts I have toward you, yeah. Because, yeah, those are the vehicle of thought. Well, I I think this next section here, does everybody see where it says, bow down thine ear on your handout, and hear the words of the wise, and apply thine heart unto my knowledge, for it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them, his words, within thee, they shall withal be fitted in thy lips... And then he says, that thy trust may be in the Lord. So here is like the first reason God gave us his word. These are the reasons God gave us his word. He says, that thy trust would be in the Lord. And so God wants us to trust him. He's been faithful for all time. You know, we we can put all our eggs in his basket and we can trust the Lord. Amen. And he's going to give us three reasons. He he says, I have made known to thee this day. Uh, hold on just a second. Let me, I want to look at it in my Bible just because I think I have a note here I wanted to say. Is it, uh, oh, it's 22. Okay, yeah. He said, and uh, notice the word. The word that. So he's making these words of the wise known. He wants us to trust him. He says, uh, I have made known to thee this day, even to thee, 
Have not I written to thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth? So he wants us to know. Uh, he wants us to be certain of truth. That's why we promote discipleship, discipleship to our HBI Bible Institute. We want you to not only be saved, we want you to learn your... I say you. God wants us to know the certainty of His Bible. Amen to that? And so these are reasons He's given us His Word and He's, you know... In discipleship, it's lesson five on the Word of God. It says that holy men spake as they were moved of the Holy Ghost. So God has used holy men throughout time to preserve His Holy Word and speak these things of truth so that we can know them in our generation. And uh, look at this last one. That thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that sin unto thee. And so, uh, I don't know the best way to say it, but just uh, to tell others. Right? So, so the, here's a three, three reasons. He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to learn the Word of God. And He wants us to tell others, uh, to them that sinned unto thee. Uh, people need answers, right? They, we, we all have questions and we're here together on a Sunday morning uh, to learn truth. Uh, not, not just for ourselves, not to, just to be edified in our faith, but to tell others. Were you thinking something? Well, I was, I was walking in it. Oh. <laughs> but the, um, for HBI, you know, every year, we, we really have to consider why we're doing this and then, you know, meet with the pastor, <coughs> go over, you know, what's our game plan, etc. Because I'm not going to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go lead anything. I... Because that's the majority of the people in there. They do their four years and then got, mm-hmm. you know, places that the church will. Anyway, yeah. that is my reasoning mm. uh, so that I will have an answer. I'll have the right answer. That's good. For when God sends <coughs> someone to me, mm. I will have the right answer. That's sweet. And uh, what you said communicates uh, what Carol has said to me too. You know, Carol leads the Shiloh Center for the Crisis Pregnancy Center, and and it, it's a little bit intimidating to Carol. I don't think she might be telling this, that, but uh, Amy Hedges works there, the pastor's wife, and uh, Angela Roach. Those are like her two counselors. And she's like, you know, I need to be on that level. I need to, I need to up my game. And so Carol's committed to going to Bible Institute, just so she can have answers, like you're saying. And that that that's precious. Is there any other thoughts or as we're, uh, I mean, sometimes that's why people say they don't witness enough. Is like, you know. I don't know answers. I, I might not know enough, so maybe they. But uh, it, it's funny when we took the Billy Graham training. Uh, I got to be uh, 
one of the counselors at his last, I think it was maybe Billy Graham's very last crusade was here in Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium. I think it was either 2004 or 2006. And, uh, but that's, I mean, I didn't get to meet Billy Graham, but um, the trainer said, you know, all you have to do to lead somebody is to be one step ahead of them. <laughs> I just thought that was, it really, it, it kind of lowered, it's like you don't have to memorize so much scripture. So their point is, if you're saved, you're one step ahead of the lost guy. <laughs> you know, and you can lead them because you're one step ahead of them. I just thought that was pretty... Okay. She's a perfect example. Yes, she is. Lindsay got to lead someone to the Lord, and she's been saved a month or two. And and she said she started praying for him. Huh. And God, she says, I kept thinking, where are these words coming from? But God gave her um, yeah. the path. She said that on, yeah. she's like, I don't even know. I didn't know what I was even saying. She was like the, it's like the Holy Spirit was talking through her. So that's that's pretty cool. We've just got a couple more minutes, but uh, th- this next one here, this next bullet point I gave you, these are the Lord's words. It says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And notice that the Lord's kind of equating himself with his words. If you reject me, you're not receiving my words either. So the word and uh, the living word, Jesus, and the written word are on the same parallel here. And then the next one is, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so, you know, uh, this was uh, really... Weird to me, and I think it was the Bible I had before this one, but uh, the man that led me to the Lord is a guy I work with, and him and I started having kind of Bible studies at lunchtime, and, but I can remember the day... And it's a big. It was a big corporate. I work for the old Marion Laboratories, and there was at least at least a hundred people in the cafeteria, maybe more. I mean, it's a big, like a big hospital cafeteria, big open. But I can remember there was a day where I thought, you know, I'm coming to this Bible study with Royal every day at lunch, and I'm not bringing my Bible. So there was a day I decided I was going to bring my Bible. And it was just the weirdest thing for me to walk through the lunchroom with my Bible in my hand. And uh, it was just, I was I'm like, I'm not ashamed, but I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm carrying this Bible into work here. And uh, anyway, as you do it, you kind of get used to it. And then it wasn't, I mean, you're looking at me like, okay, Steve, you're the pastor now. Of course you carry your Bible, but I wasn't always a pastor. And, and uh, anyway... Those were some, and you know, this is a weird thing. I worked on second shift, so 
I, after I didn't work with Royal on days, I went to nights. And then there was a test. Are you going to carry your Bible even when Royal's not here? <laughs> and, uh, and I did. I would carry my Bible and I would read it at lunchtime. And you know, a few months later... A guy came up to me. He was so excited. He's like, Steve, I got saved this last weekend. I want you to know that just seeing you read your Bible at, at lunchtime convicted me. And I just thought that was, I mean, I didn't lead him to the Lord, but he told me, he wanted me to know that seeing you read your Bible, that uh, that really convicted me, he said. <clears throat> so anyway, you never know. Uh, well, let's look at this last one here. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And so his, one of the things we say here, um, what, what are the only two things that are eternal in this life? The word of God and the souls of men. And, and right here it says... Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but His words will not pass away. So there, His word is eternal, and people's souls are eternal, and therefore uh, it behooves us to invest in those things, doesn't it? We should all be investing in the souls of men and the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Well, Don, thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to wrap up. We got about twenty minutes till church starts. Is there any other thoughts or comments? Uh, now, yeah, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll be here. I think at the end of August is uh, every every month that has five Sundays. We have. Uh, all the Bible study meet in the sanctuary at 9 o'clock. So at the end of August, there'll be five, five uh, will be our fabulous fifth, we call it. Uh, let, me, let me read you this. Uh, I had one more poem I'll read to you. And then, uh, uh, Jim, would, Jim, would you close us in prayer today after I, oh, sure, after I read this? It says, The Master was searching for a vessel to use. On the shelf were many, which one would he choose? Take me, cried the gold one, I'm shiny and bright. I'm of great value and I do and I do things just right. My beauty and luster will outshine the rest, and for someone like you, master, gold would be the best. Unheeding the master passed on to the brass. It was wide-mouthed and shallow and polished like glass. Here, here, cried the vessel, I know I will do. Place me on your table for all men to view. <clears throat> Look at me, cried the goblet of crystal so clear. My transparency shows you my contents so dear. Though fragile am I, I will serve you with pride, and I'm sure I'll be happy your house to abide. The master came next to a vessel of wood, polished and carved, it solidly stood. You may use me, dear master, the wooden bowl said, but I'd rather you use me for fruit, not for bread. Then the master looked down and saw a vessel of clay, empty and broken, it helplessly lay. No hope had the vessel that the master might choose to cleanse and make whole, to fill and to use. Ah, this is the vessel I've been hoping to find. I will mend you and use you and make you all mine. I need not the vessel with pride of itself, nor the one who is narrow to sit on the shelf, nor the one who is big-mouthed and shallow and loud. 
nor one who displays its contents so proud, not the one who thinks he can do all things just right, but this plain earthen vessel filled with my power and might. Then gently he lifted the vessel of clay, mended and cleansed it and filled it that day. Spoke to it kindly, there's work you must do, just pour out to others as I pour into you. And uh, the author was unknown. That's pretty good, isn't it? <clears throat> Close this out, Jim. Lord, we thank you that uh, we had this time to meet this morning. And thank you for these words, Lord, that remind us how precious your words are and that you have given us uh, everything that you want us to know to lead our lives, to glorify you. And thankful that we have your words in our language that we can study and apply to our life, Lord. And pray that we would be clean vessels that, that could be used by you for kingdom. Uh, just now pray for the service we're going into. Speak to us there, Lord, through Doug Pearson. And I pray you bring us all back safe next week, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We'll close out here. Thank you for joining us on Facebook.